This episode is brought to you by Estec Insurance. Estec Insurance provide friendly, expert advice on a wide range of insurance services for businesses, startups, and everyone in between. With specialisms in science and technology, Estec work with you to create a tailored insurance package, making sure you're protected against whatever might come next. Plus, Estec offer a 10% discount to all Bradfield Centre members. So visit estec.co.uk or call 01 223 Welcome to Inside the Bradfield Centre. My name's James Parton, the Managing Director of the Bradfield Centre. And I'm Adelina Chalmers. I'm known as the Geek Whisperer because I bridge the gap between engineering and other departments in tech companies. Joining us on today's show is Mark Turner, co-founder and CEO of Cranked. before um, and I know he's got quite a colourful background so it'll be very interesting to hear a bit about what he's done in the past. And I'm interested to learn two things about his current business Cranked. Uh, it's a two-sided marketplace so I'm interested to understand the, the marketing challenge around attracting both buyers and sellers into a marketplace and then also just check in and see how Covid has affected his business recently. Welcome inside the Bradfield Centre podcast, Mark. Um, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. T- tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. How did you get to where you are now? It has definitely been a journey. I left school at 16, having failed most of my A-levels, and instead of staying on to retake them, I decided to go and join the Royal Navy. I was a, a tactical radio operator. Very, very exciting, but after about a year... And seeing all of my friends get ready to, you know, finish their A-levels and all the rest of it, um, I realized it really wasn't a, a fantastic path to fame and wealth. And I decided that I'd made a bit of a mistake and I wanted to get out. In the forces, you once you get to the age of 17 and a half, you then start what they call your, your man sea service. And um, so I'd passed that threshold, but I managed to convince my commanding officer that um, I was a very unhappy junior. I should be. I should be allowed to leave a week before my 18th birthday. When I got out into back into Civvy Street, I then got a job as a what they called a wire operator. So we're going back in the days before the um, uh, before internet. I was a wire operator for big American bank stockbroker uh, Merrill Lynch. I would transmit buy and sell orders to the New York Stock Exchange floor. I don't know if you've ever seen the film The Wolf of Wall Street. It centers around the, the 1987 uh, stock market crash and Black Monday. And um, I was there, the only wire operator on duty that night. You, you know, you can't imagine how many piles and piles of sell orders that I had to put in. I got one wrong. I put in a buy order instead of a sell and then corrected it straight away. And uh, within the space of a minute of making that mistake, I managed to lose the company $10,000. But the next day, when the office manager came in, a larger-than-life American multimillionaire, 
he bought me a bottle bottle of champagne and he said that he he couldn't believe that I'd got through the night single-handedly and and only lost 10,000 so it was it was uh, it was a great experience as a child I'd lived in the middle east with my parents after I left the stock market in 89 I ended up back out in the middle east I started working for a uh, an oil field trading company so I would buy and and sell stuff to oil companies in 2012 I'd already been working as a broker for um, several years on my own, uh, based out in the Middle East, buying and selling uh, large construction cranes and and, um, and attachments such as a crane boom. And at the same time, my um, sister-in-law in Paris, you know, was constantly bombarding me, bless her, with ten pictures a day of of my beautiful nieces. And obviously, she's doing this on Facebook. And I sat there and thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if you know, I had the connectivity of LinkedIn and Facebook, but was able to actually advertise and sell my cranes and do it for do it for nothing. So that that was the seed of the idea. And I sort of had, if you like, that was my first Eureka moment. And I came up with this ridiculous name called Indugu. And um, uh, Indugu is my first platform. And, and the, the platform was developed. I invested basically everything that I had. Essentially, what it was was a, a social network. And then interlaced with the social network was a marketplace. By 2013, phase one had been launched. And then what I wanted to do is actually launch an auction module. But I was running out of money. So so uh, I think we were down to our last few pennies. My wife had sold her car. I had a phone call from a, an old customer of mine uh, from Saudi who was now based in Bahrain. Within two days, I was on the plane to Bahrain and I'd secured investment from them of $750,000. I'd got a phone call saying, Mark, you, you know, could you, could you come to London in September? Um, because we've got, a, we've got a pitch event, an investor event, and we really think that Indugu could do quite well. And Google Ventures are going to be there. And I said, oh, this is fantastic. This is exactly what we want to hear. So I said, yes. Then when I told... My Bahraini partners went, oh, no, no, you, why? We've got all the money we have here. We don't need to go to Google Ventures. And basically, I got talked out of it and, uh, and then cancelled it, which was, you know, really stupid. Or well, February 2015, I delivered a pitch to a very large oil company. They then invited me in this board meeting and they said, right, because the, the, the oil company is involved now, we want our head office to be in Bahrain and another office in Saudi. And we don't want the head office in London. And we'd like you, Mark, to be the international sales director in charge of all the sales. And I just said, no. So they launched, they launched an attack on me. I was then unemployed for a year. I couldn't get a job even selling a crane as a sales manager. So what I did is I sat for a year and I wrote the business plan for Crank. And, and you had the... You had the nasty part of the entrepreneurial journey, but if the guys in Bahrain hadn't launched their their attack on me and ruined me, I mean, I was bankrupted as well. I came back, I lost all the money I, I invested in it, but they never got in Dugu, and uh, you know, and they gave me lots of options. But I decided to stay and fight, and um, I got out. But had they not have done that. I would never have discovered Crank, which is infinitely better than Indugu ever was. One of the issues that I realized with Indugu was that 
people weren't inviting their customer contacts to to connect with them on the social network because that had already been done in spades, you know, with LinkedIn and Facebook or whatever. You know, I mean, I was obviously very, very bitter and still quite raw from the from the corporate raid, if we can put it like that. So I thought, well, actually, what if, what if we sort of take the concept and give the concept to everybody? That's essentially how Crank was born. So what Crank is, is Crank is a unique uh, networking platform that actually enables each company to create private networks with every other company that it does business with, whether it's a supplier or a customer or a service provider. So, for example, Bradfield Centre is on Slack. And, you know, when we join, become residents at the Bradfield Centre as a business, we all get to actually sign up into the Bradfield Centre's channel on Slack. But what Crank does is Crank Crank takes things to a sort of another level. So if you can imagine uh, the Bradfield Centre creates a private network with Cambridge TV, creates a private network with the Geek Whisperer, was it Adelina? And so you, 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 know, you basically create multiple private networks with everybody that you're, you're connected with. And once those networks are connected, your, your employees and their employees can now connect with each other with inside that private network. And then inter- intertwined with all of that is a marketplace. And we've, you know, are, at the moment we're in the construction equipment sector. That's where we started because that's the industry that I know. But, you know, we, we will be taking it into other industries. So, you know, we have another platform ready to build out later this year called Autobridge. So we, we, we have plans to take it into the car industry. And then what we've done, the big sort of turning point for Crank has been actually the development of our enterprise version of crank which is essentially a white label so what it is 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 um the bradfield center can take their own version of crank and completely uh loaded up with their brand colors um their pictures their logo and the marketplace in your enterprise version will only be your equipment and and the things that you're selling and you're offering so you won't be competing in the public marketplace however what you can do is you can also mirror your listings into crank.com's public marketplace as well so you're getting the best of both worlds and then finally in in terms of i would say our usp is our auction module and the auction module is quite is quite unique because again because of our unique networking architecture if I'm selling my digger on, let's say, eBay Autos, then eBay follows a traditional auction business model uh, whereby you know they retain all of the bidder data. If you've got a piece of equipment and you're selling, you're selling it on on eBay Autos, then you have ten bidders. You sell to bidder number one, and nine other bidders. That bidder data stays with eBay, and their business model is based on that. In Crank, you have the same same scenario. You sell to bidder number one, and now you've the other nine bidders have had to first network with you before they can bid. So now what you've actually done is you've primed your sales funnel with another nine extra bidders. So you sell to bidder number one. Now your sales team can actually pick up the phone to bidder number two down to 10 and say, look, hey, you missed out on our fantastic digger. You know, we've got a couple more. Why don't you come over and have a look? So that that is essentially, in a nutshell what crank is all about 
just to pause the conversation a second and tell you a little bit more about the changes we're making at the Bradfield Centre, we now offer a whole range of new flexible membership packages which support home workers, hybrid home working blended with access to high quality office space and meeting room hire by the hour. Starting from as little as £45 per month, visit bradfieldcentre.com for more information or call 01223 919 600. Do you have that kind of um, classic two-sided marketplace challenge of you've got to kind of go out and recruit companies to market their products through you, and then you've also got to find the buyers or the potential buyers of those products to come in to the community? Or how do you tackle that? You know, what what's your marketing kind of effort look like there? Yeah, so we, we're actually we've just taken on board our new CMO Rebecca, uh, who's actually joined us from the car industry. She joined us from GM, so. We've sort of been heads down in our dev work. We've got some uh, uh, some very, very serious uh, companies. We've got uh, one of the largest fleet owners in the US. They've got over 70,000 piece inventory, um, $1.5 billion market cap, and they're all over our enterprise. So we're, we're getting ramped up with them now. So at the moment, we're focused on, let's say, six or seven very, very big players uh, with lots of inventory. And so we're sort of hand-holding with them at the moment. Um, but you know, for example, for this fleet owner in the States, once we they're building out their their UI and their their storefront on Crank Enterprise at the moment. So it's offline. You can't see it on Crank. But once that's done, it's up to them to go out and actually go to their customer database and invite their customers in. So that initial traction comes from those initial sellers, if you like, in terms of the buyers. And then as we as we gain momentum uh, and more sort of organic traction, then then more buyers will come in from the outside through Crank.com as well. So it's a two pronged attack, but it's actually it's reliant on. It's like going onto LinkedIn for the first time. If you don't invite anybody to connect with you, um, or don't let anybody know you're there, your your newsfeed on LinkedIn and your connections are going to stay pretty empty. And it's the same sort of same sort of scenario here. What made you want to? start in Cambridge and and kind of join the Bradfield Centre what what how is this helping the company you know after coming back from the Middle East we moved to Cambridge three years ago my wife and I and um, so I'd lived here before so I've always liked Cambridge and it's got such a fantastic atmosphere about it um, and the big thing was actually Kuram who's our CTO uh, Kuram is actually the digital di- uh, creative director at the uh, at the, the agency in Dubai that built uh, Indugi with me. So we've been working with each other for about eight years now. So he was, rem- he was working remotely from Dubai. So by the way, COVID didn't affect us because our dev team is in Karachi. We've got 15 uh, engineers sitting out there in, in, in our office in Karachi. Um, Kurum was sitting in Dubai, but we realized that we were getting to a point where we couldn't, yeah, Kurum and I needed to be in the same room. So, you know, we, we got Kurum back over here. Um, he came over, I think it was last July. And that's when I decided that we needed to look for an office. And what I like about the Bradfield Centre is it does have that. It's not that I was looking for a Silicon Valley-esque type atmosphere, but it certainly does have that. And it's nice, although we've joined the, the Bradfield Centre and, and taken up our lease there in the middle of uh, the pandemic, I'm looking forward to you know, these little networking events and, and meeting people like, you know, all of you, it's, it's already, that's already a benefit for, for us doing things like this potentially. So it was, it was actually putting ourselves into, into a, a sort of a technology startup type environment, 
yeah, the Bradfield Centre just fits that perfectly. As you, as you probably know from the conversations with Mark, you know, there's a, a vibrant events program and obviously the companies that are based in the building and the social scene around that. It's uh, Hopefully it'll give you what you need. So in terms of Crank then, you know, kind of, are you recruiting locally? Are you going to be looking for further investment with, you know, potentially folks like Cambridge Angels or other kind of Cambridge-based VCs? What what does the kind of midterm future look like for the business? That's a good question. I mean, in terms of recruitment, well, we've actually also just employed a business development director. who He's based in Portugal, so he's of the equipment world. So again, at the moment, we're working remotely with him. He's been going off to Brazil and places like that. So we've got, he's doing really well. And uh, we are getting ready to ramp up on some recruitment. We, we, we're about to do probably a seed four internal round ourselves. And that will be hopefully happening end of February, beginning of March. And we'll be building out really on the marketing side and the customer service side uh, initially this year. And we'll also be, you know, we'll be increasing our dev team in the office in Karachi, uh, probably by about 40, 50% when we start to develop the new platform, Autobridge. In terms of investment, you know, we have our seed investors are early stage to small round VCs based in London. They have always told us that they would lead, you know, if we if we get our, I keep on saying, can we go now? Can we go now? Because I'd like to be talking to a VC now. But we we simply don't have the the credible traction yet, and to you know to really affect decent valuation. Uh, although valuation is quite you know it's quite good already, they've always said that they would lead that Series A round uh, and want to lead it and want to participate in it. Um, and they've been with us for four years now. So in terms of those those VCs, we think we know who they are in London that would be potentially interested because um, they're already known to our investors um, in London. However, because of that, by the way, I haven't actually been really looking. So I actually don't know what what investors are sort of set up in Cambridge. As we go forward in the, in the coming months, you know, we're going to hopefully over the next three, four months, we're going to start really seeing what will be proof of concept and you know, we'll be able to start demonstrating a, a bit of a growth curve. And then, you know, the conversation starts to change quite rapidly. So we're, we're going to be starting, myself and the and the CMO, uh, Rebecca, we've already started working on a, a new sort of uh, small business plan exec summary, uh, investor deck, you know, ready for if somebody does knock on our door and wants to have a look a little bit earlier, um, then we'll do that. We've already been, we've already been approached by a big VC in Boston in the US, but they typically look at uh, rounds of around about $25 million, I think, was their, was their smallest. So I said, we're not quite there yet. <laughs> we would like to be soon. You need to stay grounded in this. And, and uh, our investors have been very good at that. None of us are the sort of the young hipster types. So we're, we're, quite, we're quite grounded. And, and, you know, as you can imagine, I've been fairly humbled in my, in my entrepreneurial journey. So you know, it's about it's about uh, user acquisition and and being able to demonstrate you know basically traction and 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 a growth curve that is very difficult to sort of push back against in terms of the valuation. I think that's what's interesting about your story, right? You know, having having that rough experience, you know, it, I think it, it obviously number one, it gives you great foundation and learning for for moving forward with the next venture. But I think sometimes. Startup kind of lifestyle or the way it's portrayed can be a little bit too romanticized. 
and a bit cliched, I think. You know, it's it's it, and everyone's a potential rock star, and and it's it's actually you know at the end of the day, you know, you're in business. You've got to build something that works, and somebody wants to buy it from you. There are no real shortcuts to that. When you see these these unicorns come along, you know, yes, unless you've got this freakishly brilliant idea that's just going to have this massive viral hit. That's what we're all looking for at the end of the day. But I think that the, the harsh reality is you've just got to slog at it like anything else, like like any other normal bricks and mortar business as well. I was talking to um, Brandley Handyman the other day, who's a, an investor, about how people see just the success stories and they imagine that it's just, oh, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, that's it. You, you've just succeeded, everybody. It's almost like winning the lottery. The chances of being that successful are tiny. Yeah. You know, it's funny, just quickly on that, I, I spoke to a, um, a ghostwriter a couple of years ago, actually, and I said, yeah, I'd really like to write a book, but I'm, I, you know, I got a grade C in English O-level, and I'm just not, I'm not a writer, so I, I, I'm need, I need the services of a ghostwriter. And I'm really glad that I spoke to him, because the, the person I got through to, because he said, yeah, he said, look, and I told him my story, bits of which you've heard today, and he said, look, sounds really interesting. I think it could, it could be an, an interesting book to write. He said, but I have to warn you, he said, you know, most people think that, you know, they've all got their stories to tell. And he said, but the, at the end of the day, writing a book is one thing. Writing a bestseller is another thing. And he said, it, so he said, I could charge you £20,000 to write your book for you. And he said, but you have to remember that you've just basically, you know, what you're, what you're doing is you're essentially buying a lottery ticket for £20,000. So have a think about it. <laughs> I think that applies everywhere. So you've just got to stay grounded and realistic. Absolutely. I mean, you touched on COVID there briefly. I mean, it sounds like it hasn't slowed you down. The, I mean, the marketplaces that you're offering today, and obviously you're looking to move into other areas as well, demand hasn't been kind of throttled back, back by COVID or anything like that in construction or anything like that? I think the demand has been throttled back because everybody's been in such a state of flux. They don't know whether they're coming or going. And I think most people have been sort of, you know, head down, bent on on survival um, and looking after their businesses and nurturing it through this. So, you know, what what we've also been very conscious of is we didn't want to sort of like pop our heads up and say, you know, look, we've got a new smart ass idea that's going to solve everything for you during the pandemic. So we've tried to, uh, we've resisted that urge, even though, you know, we look at our business model and we think, actually, you know what, the pandemic, it, it could be seen as it's helped us uh, in a way, because it's, you know, it's taking, you know, transactions which are done, you know, typically face to face and offline, it's bringing them online, it's giving people, you know, better tools to do that. The pandemic for us, it has created a, um, a sort of a nice incubation period, if I can put it like that. It's actually bought us more time in terms of what we want to do and where we want to be. The key to success is turning any bump in the road into a step up. <laughs> that's what I can say. I think that's, you know, that's 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 key. Instead of just looking and going, oh, there's a bump in the road. Well, how can I use this bump? Absolutely. And, and I've sort of become past master at that. You know, I'm, I'm often referred to as Mr. Optimistic, although I don't feel it half the time, but probably from my crane trading days. Because, you know, the deal's never done until you got the money in the bank and the commission in the bank. So you're always waiting 
and trying to foresee anything that could possibly go wrong with your deal and you navigate accordingly. The first thing we did is, is we uh, sent our guys home from the office in Karachi. We had everyone working from home, set them all up, made sure they all had com- their computers and we had our network online. To be honest with you, we didn't miss a beat. We didn't feel it. Amazing. Well, I mean, thanks for taking the time out, Mark, and, and coming uh, to talk to us today. Very much appreciated. Oh, you're very welcome, and, and thanks for having me. It was really insightful to hear Mark speak about his investment experience and how sometimes when you get investment, it's not what you think it is. So it is a very cautionary tale about be very careful who you accept as your investors and how much money you give them for what. Equally, I mean, it's amazing to hear that it hasn't kind of deterred him. He's still got huge amounts of enthusiasm and, you know, big plans for cranked, you know, in terms of expanding into other markets and, uh, you know, looking for more investment at the right time. So, you know, just shows you what you need to be a successful entrepreneur, you know, just get knocked down and get back up. Well, like we were saying during the show, you know, using the bumps in the road as steps up rather than bumps in the road. Thank you very much to Mark Turner for joining us inside the Brightfield Centre podcast today. And also thank you to Carl Homer of Cambridge TV for producing the show. You can listen to the show by searching for Inside the Bradfield Centre on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher or Amazon Music or by visiting bradfieldcentre.com. Bradfield Centre.